0: Hi, I'm Steve Thomas. This is cacophony. Let's dive into some great music. But first, a warning: this episode's going to leave you seriously uplifted. Ever been squashed in on the back seat of the car? As a kid, I was often the one squashed between my bigger siblings in the middle of the back seat, unable to control the windows with nowhere to put my legs, having to have my feet perched on that little raised lump that runs down the middle from the gear stick, and being lent on from one side or the other whenever we went round a corner. Happy days. In short, I know what it must be like to be Beethoven's fourth symphony. Squished and squeezed between one epic and literally heroic sister and another, both bigger, louder, groundbreaking, stealing all the attention. So much for Beethoven symphonies 3 and 5. The conductor Osmo Vanska writes that the Beethoven symphonies are like nine children in the same family. All are individual and all great, but with different characters, and some get more attention than others. And of course, Symphony No. 4 doesn't care in the least. Firstly, because it's a piece of music and not a youngest brother. Secondly, because it's 35 minutes of pure brilliance, which leaves us full of wonder and delight. Ludwig van Beethoven is known for innovation, vitality, power, energy, depth, humanity. And this less famous symphony has all of these things in spades, just as much as the others. Like most symphonies, it's in four separate movements. One reviewer writing just a few years after its first performance, wrote that this piece had all the originality and energy you might expect, without its clarity being marred with bizarreries that disfigure many of Beethoven's works, by which he meant specifically Symphonies 3 and 6. There were lots of listeners at the time of Beethoven who found his music to be all a bit too much. This review continues, The impression upon the listeners was as desired. The public applauded each movement, Today, if people are going to a classical music concert for the first time, they often worry about clapping in the wrong place. There's a very sort of church atmosphere in some concerts these days. In Beethoven's time, there was no sitting in concentrated silence from start to finish. If audiences really liked a piece, clapping in the gaps was very much the thing to do. And if they really, really liked it, it might even get played again there and then, before the orchestra moved on to the next section. There's no big story surrounding this piece being written. Beethoven collected a series of rich aristocratic backers in his life, and in 1806 he visited his latest patron on a summer break. This Count had his own orchestra, I mean, who doesn't? And he treated his guest to a performance of Beethoven's Second Symphony before commissioning this one. Coincidentally, it got its first performance on the same evening as the Coriolan Overture, which I covered a couple of episodes ago in Cacophony. There's also no big story around the piece, there's no heroic struggle, no overarching journey from darkness to light, minimal existential angst, it's a piece without an agenda. If there is a message, I'd say it's smile, and maybe wonder at the musical talent of Beethoven, and an orchestra on the wing. And yet, here's the opening. ...full of suspense... ...gloom, maybe. These super-long held notes in the wind... ...and the very slow, mysterious tune in the strings... ...stretch time and space... ...a little bit like in the quartet... ...featured in the last episode of Cacophony. And the shorter notes... ...feel like they're on tiptoes... ...tentative... ...searching. The silences and gaps rack up the tension and expectation. One of my favorite things is the plucked pizzicato string notes on these chords. And when that tension is finally released, we're flung, not into some awful pit of despair, but somewhat surprised into an amusement park. The piece is full of joy and fun, kind of relentless at the same time. It's characteristic of Beethoven that he's not afraid to hammer home his points. So when he's happy, he's happier than anyone else. In many ways, Beethoven's fourth symphony is quite straightforward, there's little to explain in this piece. It's just such fun to hear, and is immediately satisfying. So really, I just want to point out a couple of the cool things that Beethoven's doing. There's a couple of things about the second movement. Underpinning the whole thing is this broken, braceline tread, a bit like the tiptoes at the start of the symphony. And this slight uneasiness runs almost throughout the whole movement, over the top of which are a series of very beautiful and tender tunes. There's an especially good one given to the clarinet. The conductor Ivan Fischer remarks that the tunes are like love songs, but the constant movement underneath shows that the lover in question is someone who's really interesting. Not at all boring, he says. And Again, we hear Beethoven using silences to great effect. Beethoven became increasingly economical with material. He can make music out of anything. Take the start of the third movement. Does this even amount to a tune, or is it just everyone slithering up and down? certainly effective the quiet passages are like a coiled spring that suddenly bursts with energy it crackles and fizzes and yet it's all just made up of little snatches of notes being passed playfully among the different parts of the orchestra traditionally this movement would be a dance with a contrasting central section and then you repeat the dance here beethoven for the first time brings back that contrasting middle a second time so instead of an A B A format we get A B A B A it's like Beethoven's so happy with what he's written he wants us to hear it again and this middle section is really good the wind players have this sort of earnest serious tune like they've got some important message to get across and the strings are having nothing to do with it and it's like they're making little jokey comments the whole way through. So you feel like you could get stuck in this kind of joyous loop forever, repeating one section after the other, until eventually the horns suddenly cut everyone off, as if to say, someone's got to put a stop to this. The fourth movement finale is one last great outpouring of joy and fun. It's always moving. Sometimes it's a delicate and graceful smile, sometimes a big happy bear hug. Beethoven's got a pretty serious heavyweight reputation, and he's not known for musical humour. I'd say that any jokes in his music are more likely to raise a wry smile than an actual laugh. But there's definitely wit here. There's almost a comedy ending, and there are other moments which are fun for the listener, bordering on cruelty to the players. For example, he gives the bassoons and double basses, not known for their agility, fiendishly difficult things to do. One final observation from a conductor, this time Simon Rattle, who notes that one thing Beethoven always does is push every player to their limit, and then a bit further. I think it's a bit like when football managers in post-match interviews say proudly that their players left everything on the pitch. Beethoven demands that his players give everything they've got, which means that listening to his music can be simultaneously exhilarating and exhausting. The piece is brilliant, life-affirming stuff, and it leaves me in a state of wonder at the creative genius of Beethoven and the brilliance of music and life in general. Isn't it great to be alive? I hope you like it. It's a bit over half an hour. Click on the links in the show notes to have a listen, and then please let me know what you think with a comment at cacophonyonline.com or via Twitter or Facebook. Please say something. Gets a bit lonely without any feedback please rate the podcast, share it widely, and subscribe to it. Come back for more next time. Thanks for listening.